It is always a delight to be at Heritage. In fact, I'm sitting on the platform remembering the old days in the gymnasium. How many go back that far? Okay. Yes, go back that far. It's great to see what God has done and is doing here at Heritage. Certainly always a delight to be here. almost feel like I'm at my home church. So it's uh, just a blessing to be able to be a part of what God is doing here uh, every three years. And I certainly enjoyed being here a little. Got in a little early yesterday. Enjoyed your festival. You guys did a great job. And I uh, certainly it was kind of fun watching uh, just everybody kind of knowing what they were doing and uh, seeing it all work together it was a really a great, uh, did a great job, and I trust everybody was encouraged with that, and open doors for ministry, and of course, that's the key, as uh, that, that will uh, certainly afforded that. Well, I mentioned my team here. I'll ask the team to stand real quickly. I'm uh, trying to interest, I was trying to look around. They're missing a team member here. Oh, there she is, way back over there. Yeah, she found a friend in the back there. Okay, uh, so I won't have them introduce themselves right now, except to say that one of them is from South Carolina, one of them is from Indiana. One of them is from um, Pennsylvania. One is from Wisconsin, and two are from Ohio. Okay. Now, it's, uh, we would never, I just want you to know this, we would never put an Ohio person on a team with Michigan people. You would never do that. Okay. You'd have huge trouble. And if you know nothing about the Big Ten, you're not going to get that. But if you know something about the Big Ten, you would understand that. Uh, but anyway, uh, the two Ohio people, at least the one that's a young man, has a hard time wearing this tie. Man, he has a hard time. But we do it to humble him. And he tells you, uh, he tells you, I will say that it's blue and maize. He says it's blue and mustard. Okay. But anyway, if you're not a Big Ten fan, you didn't get that. But if you are, you do. Uh, but anyway, it's great to be here. And uh, I, uh, my wife and I have been in evangelistic ministry for 38 years. Now, you might be here and say, Preacher, what is an evangelist? What is that word? Years ago, I have a younger brother who's an evangelist. In fact, I'll give you a little anecdote here. You say, Preacher, why are you an evangelist? I, I, I don't think, I think it was, uh, I, I was destined to be an evangelist because when I was 10 years old, uh, my dad was good friends with John R. Rice, an uh, evangelist of yesteryear. My mom worked at the Sword of the Lord before uh, she was married to my dad. And then we were in the office of John R. Rice. At that time, I had no idea how significant that was and what a great man of God he was. But my dad said, uh, Dr. Rice, would you pray for us before we leave? He put one hand on my shoulder, one hand on my younger brother John's shoulder, and he said, God, he said, would you call these boys to preach? And would you call them to be evangelists and preach in pulpits across America? And my younger brother's an evangelist, so am I. So I tell you, I didn't have a chance. When Dr. Rice prayed for you, just didn't have a chance. Okay. But uh, you say, what is an evangelist? Well, my younger brother, who I mentioned just a moment ago, is an evangelist, was preaching in a Christian school. He said, what do you think an evangelist is? A little kid on the front row raised his hand. He pointed at him. He said, a disease. Okay. And uh, I think it might be, Pastor. I don't know. I think it might be a disease. I tell people sometimes I'm afflicted with the gift of the evangelist. You say, what are you, I'm actually teasing because it's a wonderful affliction. But the point is, an evangelist, this is going to shock you, is all about the evangel. That's what God hardwired us to all to be about is the gospel. That's what evangel means. It means gospel. And we heard that sung about here a moment ago with the choir. Now, there's two aspects to the gospel. I mentioned this to the teens. The first is the gospel to the sinner. That's what we think of, don't we? And if you're here and you really don't know for sure your sins are gone, and you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, uh, I'm telling you, you know what the gospel is? It's good news. It's good news that you can be sure your sins are gone and you can be sure that heaven's your home because salvation is not based on what you do. It's based on what he has already done. So, wow, that's great. So we're all about the gospel. I mean, an evangelist who has got the gift is all about the gospel and he's, he's also all about protecting it and proclaiming it. But there's a second aspect of the gospel that often is overlooked and that's what's going to happen this week. That's the gospel of the saint. 
You know what I find about a lot of Christians? They get discouraged, they get defeated, and sometimes a sin in their life that they can't kick. And listen, when you're defeated, discouraged, and down, it's good news when you hear the same Jesus you trusted to keep you out of hell is the same Jesus you can trust to keep you out of sin. Yes, see, that's the gospel of the saint. And I'm telling you, all both of them are all centered in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, certainly just gave you a quick run through what an evangelist is, but my wife and I, I'll ask my wife to stand briefly just so you know who she is, and uh, we are... Um, been in this for 38 years, and uh, we certainly thank the Lord for those 38 years. Man, I can't wait to the next 38. I've had so much fun, I just can't wait to the next 38. Okay, let's see what God's going to do. But uh, uh, So we're thrilled here all week long. We'll be administering the school. We'll say more about that tonight, give more details tonight, but that's a quick overview. But as I mentioned, as an evangelist, we've got a burden to preach the gospel. So if you allow me the privilege to preach to you this morning the good news the good news. Would you go, if you would, please, to Romans chapter number 10, a very familiar passage of Scripture, Romans and chapter number 10. I want to read a very simple verse of Scripture, and uh, then we'll uh, just take a few moments to kind of unpack it and find out what the Bible is teaching us on this important matter about salvation. Now, before I get into the verse of Scripture, you're going to in just a moment see the word saved, saved. Maybe you've heard that just around people talking about being saved. Let me help you understand what it means. It means rescued. That's what it means. Okay, we're going to talk about the rescue here this morning. I'm going to entitle this a message, The Sinner's 911 Rescue Call. The Sinner's 911 rescue call. Look at verse number 13, and you'll see it right here in the chapter, 10th chapter of the book of um, Romans. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? September 11th, 2001 is not a day that many of us are old enough to remember will ever forget. It certainly is indelibly imprinted upon my mind. A few years after 9-11, I met a man by the name of David Carnes, and David Carnes told me his story. He's a former Marine. He worked in the state of Connecticut on September 11, 2001. He went into work, and he received a phone call from a sister who said, David, did you hear? A plane flew into the World Trade Center. Now, I don't know about you. The first time I heard that, I thought it was a little private plane. was an accident. had no idea what was going on. But David somehow, as a Marine, as he began to gather facts, knew that America was under attack. So all of us remember televisions began to be turned on, and we all with horror watched as the first trade center uh, saw it burning, and then we saw the plane go into the second trade center, and we all knew it, America is under attack. David watched, as we all did, as that second building uh, that got hit collapsed first, and then the first building that got hit collapsed second, and, and uh, David knew what he had to do. He went to his boss, and he said, I, I, I don't know when I'll be back to work. It'll be for a while. And uh, then he left work. And he stopped by a barber shop and asked him to give him a fresh marine recruit haircut, the barber obliged. He then went home. He said, I don't know why, but he said, I always had my battle fatigues ready for action hanging in my closet. He dressed in his marine battle fatigues. He then got on his convertible. He put the top down. He said, it was amazing as I began to make my way into Manhattan. He said, the, the roads were absolutely clear. He said, I was going 70, 80, 90 miles an hour down those interstate highways that are always packed. He said, every police checkpoint I came to, he said, they didn't ask any questions. All they did, they looked in the convertible, they saw my battle fatigues, they saw the haircut, and they waved me through. He said, I go all the way down to ground zero. He said, I met another former Marine by the name of Jason Thomas. Jason and David did not know each other, but they were all driven with the same burden 
to find living survivors in the wreckage of the World Trade Center buildings. Since they were not official rescue workers, they did not have to abide by some of the rules, and there was a certain section that seemed extremely dangerous. Smoke was billowing out of it, and just for a moment, it seemed to, to the smoke seemed to part, and David looked at Jason and said, let's go. They ran in, of course, began to, began to climb over the wreckage, and as many of you remember, the flames below, it was certainly a precarious, dangerous thing to do, but they began to scream these words, United States Marines, if you need help, yell. For an hour or two, they yelled that as they climbed and scrambled across the wreckage, and all of a sudden, David turned to Jason and said, Jason, stop, listen. Ten feet below them, they heard voices was the voices of two Port Authority police officers that had been on one of the stories, uh, the lower stories, and were still um, remarkably, amazingly still alive. Immediately, uh, David said, Jason, you go get help. I'll stay right here. One of the Port Authority police officers begged him not to leave. Evidently, before that, there had been some rescue worker voices they had heard. They screamed and yelled, but the rescue workers didn't hear them, and their voices trailed off into the distance. And those two Port Authority police officers thought maybe that was their last chance of survival. So David promised, I'm not leaving. I won't leave till the rescuers get here. The rescuers did get there, and they began the precarious work of digging down. Of course, very dangerous. David stayed to help. And of course, some of you may have remember, literally in front of millions of viewers, the first man was extricated, I believe, in the middle of the night, and the next man, I believe, more toward early morning. As millions of people watched their rescue. I want to preach using that story and the Bible verses we mentioned, what I'm going to call the sinner's 911 call. The sinner's 911 call. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be rescued, saved. I want you to see three things about the sinner's 911 call this morning. And I'm telling you, friends, if you've never made the sinner's 911 call, you could this morning. Okay, number one, you will never call on Jesus to rescue you, save you, until you, number one, realize I need to be rescued. Do you know I'm talking to people in this room who have never dialed 911. I'm talking to some of you who have never in your life dialed 911. And the reason is you didn't need to be rescued. You know, all my life long, I've never dialed 911. Well, I take that back. One time I did, I was in a church in Jacksonville, Florida, and I set off the church alarm. Now, I want to tell you, if you're an evangelist, you've got a side job, and it's setting off church alarms. That's your side job. And I, I set off a church alarm. Don't ask me why. Uh, I, I panicked, and, and there was a phone on the wall. How many remember when phones used to be on the wall instead of your pocket? Okay, talk to some of these young kids. They have no good idea how they like it, but it, or how good they, they have it. But, uh, but anyway, I picked up that phone. Don't ask me why. I dialed 911. I thought, what am I calling 911 for? Hung up. Well, they traced those calls back in the old landline day, days. Within five minutes, I had a police officer on the parking lot. I must have an honest face because he believed my story. Uh, but the point is, you know, I've never called 911, seriously, never have. Other than that, never called 911. That could change tonight. You know why people call 911? Because they need to be rescued. Hey, listen, friends, God forbid that would happen. If you were on your way home from church this morning, let's imagine you just filled up with gas, you're heading home, and, and let's imagine you're all alone as you're driving through an intersection, some car misses the red light, comes right through, speeding hits the passenger side of your car. Nobody's there, but it dents in that side, it jars you, it twists the frame of your car. Let's imagine you try to open your door, can't. You're kind of stuck in the car waiting for the policeman to come with the jaws of life to cut you out of the car. You seem to be unhurt, but you're a little shaken up. And all of a sudden you look at the car that hits you and you notice that flame is leaping up underneath the hood of that car. You realize, man, I just, I just filled this thing up with gasoline. There's not a person in this room who would not reach for your cell phone and dial 911. You know why? You need to be rescued. 
You need those firemen to come right now and cut you out of that thing with the jaws of life because as soon as that fire spreads to your car and hits the gas tank, it's over. See, we all understand what a 911 call, you call because you need to be rescued. If you were sleeping in a second or third story of a large home and all of a sudden in the middle of the night you heard a smoke alarm and you went over to the bedroom door, felt it. Maybe if you remember fire safety, you feel the bedroom door, it's hot. You realize you open that door, maybe the last thing you do on this planet. You go over to the window, look, and realize if you try to get out of that window, jump down, you're either going to severely injure yourself or maybe even kill yourself. And not a person in the room wouldn't pick up your cell phone and call, call 911. Why? And the answer is because you need to be rescued. You know, there's people in this room perhaps today who have never called on the name of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you've never come to the realization that you need to be rescued. You say, well, preacher, why do we need to be rescued? Well, can I say this? The Bible tells us that we all have a huge problem. And here it is, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You say, well, preacher, I'm a pretty good person. I do a lot of good things. Okay, think about it this way. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short. Now, that's interesting uh, because some people come short. Maybe I could say it this way. Some people come shorter than others and come, some people don't come as short, but we all come short. And the best illustration would be, in my thinking, this. Let's imagine we could transport ourselves to the edge or the rim of the Grand Canyon, and we are all challenged to jump across the Grand Canyon. I'm telling you this morning, there's a lot of people in this room that could out-jump me, but you'd still come short. Some of you, I could out-jump you, but we'd all still come short way short, <laughs> not even close. When God looks at his friend, I don't care, how, it doesn't matter to, uh, how good you are. You may be a whole lot better than all, all of us, but I'm telling you this, you're still way short. <laughs> because the Bible says if we sinned in one point, we're guilty of all. For all have sinned, God says. We've all come short. It's interesting, in 1 John 3 and verse 4, the Bible says sin is transgression of the law. You know what sin is? When we break the law, not, not man's law. God's law. You ever broken God's law? How about commandment number three? You ever broken this one? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Have you ever said, oh my, G-O-D, you have broken God's law? Uh, how about commandment number five? Honor thy father and mother. Did you ever roll your eyes at your parents? You ever talk behind their back? You ever call them the old man, the old lady? Did you ever uh, treat them disrespectfully? You've come short. You've broken God's law. You've come short. You see it? How about commandments number seven? Thou shalt not commit adultery. You say, well, preacher, I've never cheated on my spouse. Well, Jesus helps us understand what adultery really is. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Well, that's a high standard, isn't it? I'm telling you, friends, you look at a dirty picture, go to some dirty internet site, you've broken the law of God. You see somebody walking down the street, somebody in the office complex, and all of a sudden your mind goes to sensuality, you've broken the law of God. Right. See, the truth is, we go down the list, we've all broken the law of God, and we've broken it way more than we probably even realize we have. I'm telling you, friends, every single one of us in this room has a sin problem. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. Yep, there is none righteous, no, not so you'll never call on Jesus to save you until you realize I got a sin problem. Now your sin problem really is a problem because you know how much sin God can let into heaven and the answer is none. We got a sin problem. 
We need to be rescued. We need to be washed clean. we got a sin problem because, friends, sin is that which will prevent us from entering into heaven. And the Bible has, there's a verse of Scripture that is stunning. I preach it to teenagers all the time. I'll preach it, I'm sure, a couple of times this week. Revelation 21, 8. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, don't miss this, which is the second death. The greatest tragedy of sin is sin separates us from God in eternity as well in the second death, a place that the Bible calls the lake of fire or hell. Jesus often talked about the place called hell, warning living men of judgment to come. And you will never call on Jesus to save you until you realize I'm a sinner, I have broken the law of God, and I'm headed into judgment in an awful place that Jesus talked about called hell. May I say this carefully? Hell is no joke. We live in a world that uses hell as a cuss word. But I'm telling you, friends, hell is not a cuss word. It's where you'll spend eternity if you don't know Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, friend, hell is no joke. Years ago, I heard the story of a young man about 19 years old. This was back in the day. I'm sure there's some in the auditorium that will remember this when you could not pump your own gas anywhere. You pulled into a gas station, you roll your window down, the gas station attendant would come up and say, how much you want? How many remember that? How many remember that day? Yeah, these are the really old people in the room. Okay, yes. Okay, the wise people. Okay, the people who, I'll give you understand it. Okay, but anyway, and he rolled the window. Uh, so this uh, 19-year-old young man was uh, the gas station attendant, and car pulled in one day, and he did his routine, walked up, while window rolled down, and he could smell the alcohol coming out of the car, smell of alcohol. He said, how much you want? Looked in the car, a bunch of teenagers. Driver looked at him, clearly drunk. Said, I want enough gas to get to hell. Gas station attendant looked down and said, hey, um, I just need to know how much gas to put in your tank. Like I said, man, give me enough gas to get to hell. Finally, the gas station attendant got him just to give him some money. He put that certain amount in the gas tank, and they just peeled out of that gas station up the road. Gas station attendant, four, five, ten minutes later, car pulled in coming from that same direction. Car pulled into the gas station. Guy got out, literally just absolutely could not talk. He had such, he was clearly traumatized. He said, a bad, bad, a, a, a bad accident. There's a bad accident. Somehow the gas station attendant knew he had some EMT training. He jumped in his car. He began to go down that road, up that same direction. He didn't have to go along, maybe about five minutes. He came up there and noticed that very car had just put gas in, noticed it had left the road, hit either a telephone pole or tree, immediately got out, and, and he recognized, I'm going to see if any of these young men are still alive, and he checks the pulse of one, no, he's gone. Next pulse of another, next, he's gone. Check the pulse of the guy in the front seat, no. The driver, no, he's gone too. And as he sat there with the wail of the emergency units, off in the distance, he thought to himself, man, they had enough gas to get to hell. You hear me, and please do not miss this. Hell is no joke. Hell is no joke. That is not a word I use when I'm angry. Hell is no joke. And I will tell you, you'll never call on Jesus to wash your sins away and deliver you from judgment and hell until you realize, I'm a sinner. I need to be rescued. Number two, you will never call on Jesus to rescue you until you believe he can. You believe he can. Let's go back to those two Port Authority police officers. Here they are in the rubble underneath this, about 10 feet down. Uh, there uh, seems their chances of survival are diminishing. They obviously have some wounds, some blood escaping from them. They probably wonder, we've got, if we're not found soon, we're in trouble. Some of you remember, of course, dust was everywhere. They could hardly speak because of the dust in their mouth. Hadn't taken a drink of water in hours, no food in hours. Life slipping from them. 
All of a sudden they hear it. United States Marines, if you need help, yell. Now I'm telling you why they yelled, because they realized we need to be rescued. We just talked about that. But number two, they yelled because they believed they could rescue them. Now, no offense, please, no offense. I, 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 nobody would be offended by this. But if I was in their situation, I would much rather hear United States Marines than Boy Scouts of America. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no offense. I just think the Marines got a better chance getting me out of there. What do you think? No offense, Boy Scouts, none at all. I just think the Marines, you know, the Marines have a reputation that that's, they would risk their lives to rescue someone. I remember I was preaching down in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and I talked about the story of Jessica Lynch, who, who was rescued in one of the conflicts over there, and, and she was in a hospital, an Iraqi hospital, and, and the Marines were tasked with the job of going in and getting her. I don't understand at all, but I do know this, that there were some that were uh, dropped in and uh, secured the perimeter and neutralized the enemy. You say, Preacher, what does it mean when you're talking about neutralizing the enemy? If you're a teenager, ask your mommy and daddy. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> and, uh, of course, in the middle of the night, uh, a couple of Marines came in, decked out, you know, those Special Forces guys, turned on the hospital lights in that room where Jessica Lynch was and said, United States Marines at your service. I don't know about you. I think that's pretty cool. What do you think? <laughs> if I was a POW and in the middle of the night, a couple of big guys walked in and said, United States Marines at your service, I'm thinking, I think they can get me out of here. <laughs> See, they have a reputation. I remember I gave that in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. A well-dressed young man came up to me, and he said, Brother Van Gelderen, he said, I was a sniper in the United States Marines. He said, I was on the perimeter that night. He didn't tell me, but I kind of inferred neutralizing the enemy. But anyway, you see, folks, the point is, why uh, would those Port Authority police officers give the last reserves of their strength to scream and yell why they believed they can get us out of here? You will never call on Jesus to save you until you really believe that he can do it. So I got a question for you. Why would you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why him? And the answer is because he's the only one in the universe that can rescue you. There is no one else. In just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Christmas. We all love Christmas, but we forget the first few letters of the word Christmas is Christ. Christmas really is all about the entry of Jesus Christ into the world. Now, I don't know how much you know about Jesus, but you might be here and say, why do we celebrate the birth of a baby born 2,000 years ago? And the answer is because when God, when he was born, God said, call him Emmanuel. That gives us the clue why Jesus was so important. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Do you know who Jesus was? He was God with us. Think of it. God robed himself in humanity, 100% deity, 100% humanity in the, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He came for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that is he came to rescue mankind. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Can I tell you, friends, Jesus did not come to send people to hell. He came to save people from hell. That's what it means. My friend Jesus Christ was born for one purpose, and that was my friend. He lived 33 years on this planet. Not one lie did he tell. What one sin did he commit? Oh, don't get me wrong. He was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. Can you imagine that? After 33 years, there was a group of men. They were religious men. They hated him. You say, why would they hate a guy who never sinned? Because he claimed to be God, and they couldn't stand it. But he was God. 
And many of you know the story. Jesus Christ was lifted up between heaven and earth. And while he was lifted between heaven and earth, the book of Isaiah predicted something that came to pass. The Lord, that's God in heaven, laid on him, that is Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Does not matter who you are in this room, I'm telling you that day, every bit of filth you've ever done, the stuff you've forgotten about, the stuff that haunts you, everything you've ever done, he took your sin and my sin, and he laid it on Jesus Christ. And when he laid it on Jesus Christ, it didn't stop there. The Bible says he became sin for us. Who knew no sin, God took his wrath toward your sin of mine, and he poured out his wrath on your sin of mine. But you weren't there, and I wasn't either, but Jesus was. And the Bible says he suffered. For our sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And the only one in the universe, my friend, that can wash your sins away, keep you out of hell, and give you eternal life is Jesus Christ. But he can. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be rescued. You want to be rescued from your sin? You want to be rescued from its awful consequences, separation God for eternity in a place called hell? You want to be rescued? Here's what the Bible says. Call upon the name of the Lord. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? It's a call of faith. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But I want you to understand, you will never call on Jesus to save you until you believe he can. He died for you. He took your place. He rose again the third day, conquering sin, death, and hell. And there is no one else in the entire universe that can save me and can save you but Jesus Christ. But he can that brings us to the third point. Number one, you'll never call on Jesus to save you until you realize I'm a sinner, deserving of judgment in a place called hell. Uh, you'll never call on Jesus to save you until you believe that he can. But oh, number three, do not miss number three. You will never call on Jesus to save you until you call on Jesus to save you. Well, you say, preacher, that's kind of obvious. Okay, let's go back to those two Port Authority police officers. United States Marines, if you need help, yell. Can you imagine their thought processes? Oh, the Marines up there. Isn't that nice? I bet you if we screamed and yelled, they'd rescue us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? My friend, they'd, they would not have been rescued unless they had given the last reserves and had called. Do you know why they called? Don't miss this. They expected the Marines to rescue them. You see, friends, it's like this. You'll never call on Jesus to save you until you call on Jesus to save you. You say, what does that mean? You can be out here and say, oh, preacher, I know Jesus loved me, and I know he came and died, and, and, and God uh, is God's, God's son, and he's fully deity, fully man, and, and he came and died in my place, took my, oh, that's a wonderful thing. You can know the gospel and go to hell. Did you know that? Right. You can even agree with the gospel. You can say, wow, that's it. That's the only way to get to heaven. But you'll never get to heaven until you depend on the gospel. Yeah. And notice what that verse says. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You know where this call comes from? Out of a heart of belief. You know what that is? A heart of dependence. A heart of reliance. A heart of, Jesus, save me. And I'm calling on you because I believe you will. I'm expecting you to do it. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It comes out of a heart of faith. It's the cry of faith. Calls are interesting in the Bible. Every call is a prayer, but not every prayer is a call. Did you know the Bible tells us God always answers a call? In the Old Testament, he said, call unto me and I will answer thee. I believe a call, God always answers a call. 
I don't have time. I've got a whole message on, on the, the word call. But the, the reason God always answers a call, several things, but the reason and I want you to see here that is key is because it is based on expectation. God, I'm calling you. I'm in an emergency. I deserve judgment in hell, and I'm calling you because I believe you can rescue me. Friends, if you're here, sitting here this morning, and you come to realize, you know, I'm a sinner. I deserve judgment in hell, and I believe Jesus can save me, so I'm going to call on him to do it because I believe he will do it. See, that's it. You'll never call on Jesus to save you until you call on Jesus to save you. There's got to be a moment of time. People who say, I've always been a Christian are wrong. You've not always been a Christian. You say, well, I was confirmed as a kid. I went through some religious ritual as a kid. My friend, you know what salvation is? It's a call. It's a realizing I'm a sinner headed to judgment in hell, and I call on Jesus to save me because I need to be saved. There's got to be a point in time. You'll never call on Jesus to save you until you call on Jesus to save you. Imagine if you were in a situation maybe in water where you needed to be rescued. You're got in, maybe in water over your head, you can't swim. You're bobbing up and down, coughing out waters, kind of spurting it, trying to panic, trying to stay alive. And all of a sudden you see on the shore, you see a lifeguard. Not a person in this room who would not begin to scream, help, save me, help, save me. Why? Because you believe the lifeguard will do it. That's why he's here. I'm telling you right now, Jesus Christ sits in heaven as our heavenly lifeguard, and he's waiting for people maybe in this room right now to call. But you've got to call. Yeah, you've got to call. And it's a call that comes out of a heart of faith. I remember several years ago, I was uh, uh, just beginning our ministry. I think it was 1984 uh, or 85. So the early days of our ministry. And it was the summertime. We were in a small town outside of Columbus, Ohio. It was a town that kind of was kind of semi-suburb and semi, I don't know how to explain it, half of it would be more rural. And, and there were some rich people that lived in parts of it. And, and uh, we had about 60 kids come on our very first rally night. I remember that. And, and a young man showed up that night. I, I wouldn't have known it at the time because there were 60 kids, but he was an eighth grader. His name was Travis. And he was going to be in the eighth grade in the, in the fall. And summer at this particular time, already been elected treasurer of his eighth grade class. We came that night, and there was a lady who lived out more in the rural section of the area, and she had taken some boys and girls in her neighborhood, filled her station wagon out. Anybody remember station wagons? That's another thing. Okay, there you are. Filled her station wagon full of teenagers, and, and a lady in the church, she brought them in that night for the rally night. I remember getting up to preach that night, just preached a simple gospel message, gave an invitation, and I, I couldn't, told you I know some young people responded. I didn't remember necessarily which ones, but one of them was this eighth grade kid, Travis, stood to his feet and went to the back. There, a Bible-trained worker opened his Bible, showed him, preached him the gospel like I preached you, and you know what Travis did that day? He bowed his head, and he called on the name of the Lord. And when he was done praying, he was so excited because he knew that Jesus had saved him. He called on the name of the Lord, and God says, you'll be rescued. <laughs> well, he was so excited about it, uh, he left the building. By this time, everyone in that car, that station wagon, was already in the station wagon. There was one seat left. They were just waiting for Travis. The lady the, that brought them was sitting in the driver's seat. She's the one that told, the told me the story. I can still see the station wagon underneath a lamppost. And uh, Travis comes up to the car, opens the car door, and... Uh, he steps inside. Now, what Travis didn't know is when he responded to the invitation that day, some of his kids laughed. Some of his friends laughed as he walked to the back. So they were 
waiting for him. He opens the car door, sits in a seat. There's an awkward silence. Finally, one of his buddies from the back says, Hey, Travis, where you been, buddy? He said sarcastically. Travis, with an unusual courage for an eighth grader, these kids were older than he was, turned around and said, Guys, he said, if you didn't go to the back tonight, he said, you should have. His courage shut him up. Went home that night, talked to his mother two hours about the things of God. Mother knew something's different about my son. Two weeks later, the exact day, a Wednesday, he got saved on a Wednesday. Two weeks later, the exact day, he was cleaning out his above-ground, four-foot above-ground swimming pool with his 11-year-old friend, Eric Jenkins. I don't know exactly what happened, but as they were cleaning out the pool, there was evidently some kind of vacuum or motor they were using. It fell into the pool, but it did not pull. It did not unplug. 110 electricity began to shoot through the pool. Travis was dead center. He turned to his friend, Eric, get out! Eric grabbed the side of the pool, began to pull himself out. Two years later, I talked to then 13-year-old Eric Jenkins. He said, Preacher, I was on my last breath when I pulled myself from that pool. Travis, dead center, tried to get to the side, tried to get to the side, tried to get to the side, had a cardiac arrest, and he died before a friend or, or the father who the boys screaming could rescue him. I've been to the grave of Travis Murray years ago, but I can guarantee you this much, he's not there. Oh, his body is. But the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You say, why, preacher? Because he was a good kid? No. Because he went to church? No. Because he was confirmed? No. But because one day as a hell-bound sinner, he called on the name of the Lord. And you know what Jesus did? He saved him. And he'll save you too. Could I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You've done a wonderful job listening this morning. I'm so grateful for it. But I'm going to ask God's people to be praying. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would say, Preacher, if I were to die right now, this very instant, I can honestly say, I'm not 100% sure I'd go to heaven. Somebody might say, Preacher, I'm pretty sure I'd go to hell. And you say, Preacher, I'm concerned about it. Something is working in my heart right now, and I'm concerned about where I'll spend eternity. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I consider it a privilege to pray for you. I certainly will pray for you as a group, so it's not pointing you out. My prayer can't get you to heaven, but I tell you what I can do is pray that God will make it clear. I believe it's a prayer that God will answer. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would simply with a lifted hand say, Preacher, if I were to die right now, I believe I'd go to hell, or I don't know where I'd go, and I'm concerned about it. Yes, sir, I see that. The hand, thank you, may put it down. Is there anyone else? Just lift it high until I see it. Say, Preacher, I'm concerned about it. I don't know for sure where I'd go, but I'm concerned about where I'll spend eternity. Yes, young man, I see that. Thank you. So glad you raised your hand. Raise it until I see it. I won't embarrass you. won't point you out. Pray for you as a group. Anyone else? Say, Preacher, would you pray for me? Yes, I see this. Young lady, thank you. Is there anyone else? Say, Preacher, I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm dead serious. I'm not 100% sure if I die to go to heaven. I'm concerned about it. Something is happening, stirring my heart, and I'm concerned about this matter of eternity this morning. Would you pray for me? I'm just scanning the audience so I can miss you. If you have not been acknowledged yet, would you just lift your hand until I see it? Anyone at all? Uh, best I know, I've seen three hands. Is there anyone else? Say, preacher, pray for me. Would you pray for me? I'm concerned about it. Okay, another hand has been indicated. Yes, yes, young man. Thank you so much for raising your hand. Is there anyone else? Yes, I see it over here. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. Uh, anyone else? I think I've seen five hands. Is there anyone else? Say, preacher, would you pray for me this morning? Would you pray for me? Anyone else? Across the room, lift it high until I see it. 
And we'll just in a moment, I know other Christians will be praying while I'm praying. You're going to get a lot of prayer this morning. It doesn't get you to heaven. But we are praying that God will help you understand how simple it is to come to Jesus and be saved. Trust Him to wash your filth away, give you eternal life, deliver you from judgment. Oh, yes. Anyone else? Lift your hand high if I've missed you. Would you do that, anyone at all? Just lift it high. Lord, I'm grateful for these that I have seen. I know that of those maybe I missed, but I'm praying for every one of them. And I know the folks here are praying too. Would you, would you right now illumine their heart, help them to understand how simple it is to be saved, help them to realize they don't get rescued by their efforts. They get rescued by trusting what you've already done. You've already paid the price. You've already suffered the consequences. Lord, you've already resurrected from, the de uh, from dead, uh, conquering sin, death, and hell. You are the only one in the universe that can rescue us from sin and judgment and hell. But, Lord, you can do it. And, Lord, make that clear to them. Help them to see how simple it is. It's just calling on Jesus out of a heart of faith, a heart that knows they're a sinner, knows they're headed to judgment, but trusting Jesus, calling on Jesus to rescue them like a drowning man calls out to a lifeguard, trusting the lifeguard to do what they cannot do. And, Lord, I pray pray that there would be folks do that here in these next moments. Make it clear, we ask, in your name. Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you right now with no, no one uh, looking around. Would you keep your heads bowed and eyes closed and just stand to your feet? Would you do that? Just keep your head bowed, eyes closed. Just stand to your feet. Wherever you are in the auditorium, would you stand to your feet? That makes it easier for you to get out of the pew. If you raised your hand and meant it, or maybe you did not raise your hand, but no, you should have. I'm going to invite you to head to the closest aisle, and there's folks down front here. They'll see you moving. They'll just head toward them and say, I need to get saved. That's all you've got to say is, I need to get saved, or I'm not sure. And they'll have a, someone to open a Bible in a place where you won't be uh, distracted. Open a Bible and show you what God says is the way to heaven through Jesus Christ. And so if you raise your hand or you didn't, but you know you should have, or maybe you raised your hand and I missed it, doesn't matter. If God's tugging your heart in these next moments, in a moment I'm going to turn to the instruments, they're going to begin to play. And the moment you hear the first note, I'm going to ask you just to open your eyes, head to the closest aisle, and head down front. No one's looking. We're not here to embarrass you. But if most of these people in this room would be thrilled to see you respond and be praying for you. So in just a moment, you make that decision right now. I'm going to point to the piano. They'll begin to play. And you just open your eyes, head to the closest aisle, and head down the aisle. Would you do that this morning? Get this thing nailed down. Walk off the property and know my sins are washed away. I am going to heaven. Wow, it's a wonderful thing, friends, that God wants all of us to know. So you get ready. Here in just the next couple seconds, we're going to have that first note, and you just open your eyes and head down. Would you do that? I'm sure folks will let you out as the piano plays. Would you do that right now? Just step out. Would you do that? Open your eyes, head to the closest aisle, and head down. Say, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Maybe I know I'm not saved. Do you want to get it settled? How about it, friend? We're not here to embarrass you, but we'd love to open a Bible and show you Jesus can save you. You've heard the message. If you know you're a sinner headed to judgment, my friend, you can call. If you know Jesus can wash your sins away and save you, He's the only one in the universe that can save you, you can call. But you need to call out of a heart of faith, a heart of dependence, a heart of reliance, a heart of expectancy. How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Anyone else thankful for some who've responded? 
Let's get this thing nailed down. How about it, friend?